So I just finished installing my propane direct vent heater. That's a, a propane space heater that's got an exhaust pipe that goes through the wall of the house. In the last episode, I was talking about how I was going to put it through a window, through a piece of plywood, kind of like you'd, you'd put in an air conditioner for the summer to avoid cutting a hole in the wall. I didn't do that. I cut a hole in the wall. Didn't exactly go the way I'd hoped. I'll get to that in a moment. So I finished that. Over the summer, I installed a mini split air conditioner, which also has a heating function. All mini split air conditioners are actually heat pumps as well. I guess even when it's working as an air conditioner, it's acting as a heat pump, technically speaking. But yeah, it's you can move heat in or out of the building with a mini split. People usually use it to air condition, like to cool. But I was planning on using it for heating as well as cooling in combination with the propane heater and some electric space heaters. And that's how I was going to get through the winter um, until I, and then next winter, I really want to use wood heating with a wood stove and, and splitting and stacking and drying my own firewood. So that was the plan. What's actually happening is that the mini split doesn't work because I screwed up the installation and the propane heater is not working probably because I screwed something up. Although right now I don't know what, if anything, it's possible that's just defective. I think it's actually quite likely that it's it's simply defective. And reading the reviews online, a lot of people have had problems with this propane heater. It's like junk. It was suspiciously cheap. I should have known that it was junk from the price. You can't buy high quality products for this price. I mean, it's a it's a pretty beefy propane heater. It's eleven thousand BTUs for what that's worth. And it was $265. It's just cheaper than it should be. It should have cost $1,000. So I think you get what you pay for sometimes. So what I'm trying to say is, did everything myself, screwed it all up, nothing works. All right, so I'm here recording in southern New England. Tomorrow is December 1st, I'm slowly freezing to death, me and my cat here uh, will soon be dead, and uh, I thought I'd just catch you all up, let you know what's going on around the homestead. Not all bad news, I uh, made some serious headway in the garden, and uh, yeah, just take some time to reflect on, on the blessings as well as the hardship over here. Uh, I do exaggerate a little bit, it's not actually my cat, it's my former roommate's cat. Um, and yeah, I'm not actually freezing to death, nor do I intend to, but, uh, it's getting a little cold here. My house was 52 degrees this morning when I woke up. So I've got pretty close to 700 square feet that I'm living in now because I'm kind of gradually moving into other parts of the house. And, uh, that means more space to heat, of course. And I've got these two electric space heaters that, can keep up pretty well with just the living room and the kitchen and that's pretty much what I've got them doing. I keep the bedroom door closed and I keep the bathroom door closed so they don't have to do that. But the thing is I can't let the bathroom get that cold. I talked about this on the last episode because I don't want the plumbing to freeze. Um, could be a big problem. So just to give you some numbers to put this in perspective, it's not that cold. I don't want to be over dramatic. But when I wake up in the morning, it's in the low 50s some days. 
obviously it depends so much on the weather outside, but if it's, let's say 27 degrees at night, which is pretty typical right now around here this time of year, it's 52 when I wake up in the living room, it's like 40 in my bedroom because I have the door closed, which means the electric space heaters aren't reaching that room. So it's somewhere in the mid forties, probably in my bedroom. And then in the low fifties in the living room and the kitchen. And then I don't know what the bathroom is, but that's, that's closed off from the heat as well. So probably similar to the bedroom, like low to mid forties. So, uh, like I said, not ridiculously low temperatures, but, um, Oh, and then I should say during the day when the sun comes out and things warm up, then it gets to be like low sixties. Typically, if it's a particularly mild day, it'll get to 65 more often than not recently in late November, it's been in the low sixties, even in the middle of the day when the sun's out. So it's not frigid cold, but it does honestly take a lot out of me. I do feel it, uh, draining my energy because it's just sucking the heat out of you slowly, but surely all day. You just never get a break from it. There's no going inside to warm up. You're already inside. That's as warm as it gets. So if I want to warm up, I'll cook something in the oven and then open the oven door and like warm my hands and body around the oven. Again, not trying to sound dramatic. It's not that big a deal. I don't actually feel like I'm suffering any kind of severe hardship. My life's actually really good. But you know, it's, it's a little bit hard. Let's be honest. It's a little bit hard. So just keeping it real with you guys, um, not getting the propane heater to work was demoralizing to some degree. I recorded a podcast after, uh, cutting down a rotting black locust tree. It fell on my brand new expensive chainsaw and then landed on some power lines. And I told you all that that was one of my lower moments in terms of my morale and uh, confidence. And this isn't quite as bad as that, but it's, it reminds me a little bit of that moment where I'm, um, my confidence is shaken a little bit. There's just something um, discouraging about trying hard to do something and then failing. And I know it's, it's so common now to sort of embrace failure as part of the learning process. And I agree with all that. I do, honestly. Uh, but it's kind of easier said than done to actually feel good about your failure, you know, to say like, oh, this is just a, a natural part of the learning process. And, you know, these failures are the stepping stones towards a better life. And like, I do try to say that to myself. And I try to keep that in mind because I do think that's true. But I also feel discouraged. Like I put all this work in, spent quite a bit of money like I said, even though I kind of skimped out and bought a cheap propane space heater, $265 is still nothing to sneeze at. And I spent like a thousand dollars on the mini split that I screwed up the install. Um, and now I'm going to have to get a service tech to come out and recharge the refrigerant that makes that functional. Um, because I can't even buy the refrigerant I need. It's a whole long story. I don't even want to get into that, but, um, I'm going to shake it off right now. I don't want to spread this discouraged vibe to the listeners. Um, but I, you know, I do want to convey how I'm feeling about it because I'm not trying to sugarcoat this whole experience. It's overwhelmingly been positive. Like I have no regrets about buying this old fixer upper house, this big fixer upper property. Um, and I, I'm not repeating myself because the property itself, the landscape is a fixer upper too. It's not just the 
the built home that's a fixer upper it's the landscape too so i like i bit off more than i could chew on purpose and i have no regrets about that but you know the rubber's hitting the road now and i'm i'm dealing with the adversity that i bargained for and uh and it's hard that's that's the way it goes all right so that's enough about that there's more i could share about what I think is going wrong with the propane heater and what I did wrong with the HVAC. Um, if anybody's curious about that, DM me on Instagram and I could, I could tell you more about what happened there if, if you care. Um, but I think what I'd, what I'd rather do rather than getting into all those details here on the podcast, um, at this moment, at least maybe I'll talk about it some other time if people care. But, uh, I think what I'd like to do is change gears now, shake off all that stuff, you know, I've said my piece. Uh, I've I've kept it real for long enough. I told you about some of the the downsides of what's going on over here. But like I said, um, somewhat facetiously in the introduction about the blessings, um, that's actually true. I do have a lot of blessings here, and things are going well in other regards. And what I'd like to do is go get myself a cup of herbal tea, come back, and just talk about the good stuff that's going right because there's actually a lot of that too. So. Um, yeah, that's what's coming up after the break. I don't have ads, so there's, I don't know what's going to distinguish the break exactly. Maybe I'll, I'll play the jingle. I'll play the introduction jingle again. I'll get my tea, and then I'll come back and tell you about some good stuff that's happening over here. All right, I am back. I got my hot tea. And I'm ready to change gears, talk about some positive stuff that's happening here. Uh, Good stuff to say about the landscape, positive developments happening out there. But before I talk about that, um, quickly I want to address a couple things that I didn't say in the last episode that I think are relevant and worth mentioning. So you may have picked up that I'm living in the house now. So what's going on with the yurt? Um, It's just empty. So I was sleeping in the yurt throughout the summer. I'm always very careful to not say I lived in the yurt because I think that's a bit of an overstatement since I was cooking in the house and using the bathroom in the house. But I had a roommate and he was sleeping in the one good bedroom in the house and I was sleeping in the yurt. And just at night I would go out to the yurt, sleep there. When I'd wake up in the morning, I'd walk through the woods to the house, which is always a really nice way to start the day. Actually, I do kind of miss that. And then going back out to the yurt at night, looking up at the stars if I had to take a pee, just peeing in the woods, you know, I really, I do miss that actually quite a bit. Um, but because of the realities of winter and, you know, not having a good way to heat the yurt, not that I have a great way to heat the house, but I'm not, not talking about that anymore. We're moving on. Um, I do have more heat in the house than the yurt still. So yeah, I'm living in the house and that's great actually. Um, which is kind of the other positive thing I want to mention is that except for this whole heating issue that I was talking about at the beginning, the house is really getting nice. And again, I always want to clarify when I say nice, I mean better, like a lot better. Um, but it's relative. The house was so filthy and in such disrepair, just inconceivably disgusting. (laughs) Um, I really don't think I'm overstating it. That's some dramatic language, but, uh, no, it was that bad. It's actually, it was that bad. Um, you know, the, when they sold me the house, they assumed I was going to knock it down and build a new house. So that just gives you some idea of how 
with the the extent of the disrepair but yeah it's come a long way the i have three rooms that are pretty nice now um the kitchen the living room and the bedroom and the bathroom is still a work in progress um but i I don't think i really even emphasized enough in the last episode i was talking about how i'd gotten the the ceiling done and insulated it but i didn't really i think underscore the point that it's like a normal kitchen now you know if somebody came in they didn't know any better they didn't know the backstory of what i was up to and sort of the history of the house and and all that they would just think like oh this is just a normal house it's not that nice but it's not that bad either there's no way that would have happened six months ago nobody could have set foot in the house for more than two seconds it wouldn't take nearly two seconds it would take way less than a full second to realize that this house was something was dramatically wrong like that nobody nobody could live here if anybody lives here they're crazy i was living here at that point in time i moved in in april but anyone who stepped foot in the house would have had some serious questions for me like what is going on you you live here how do you live like this whereas now i don't think that's the reaction i get at all from people and i've had people over and their reaction to the house is more like oh you know, like that, that, that's the end of my impression of people. Oh, yeah. You know, just kind of lukewarm. Like if they'd seen it before, then I'll get some positive feedback. Like, oh, wow, this is really, this is better than it was. And if they hadn't seen it before, then, you know, it depends. I haven't had that many people over, so I don't have a lot of examples of how people react. And I don't even mean to focus too much on how people perceive the condition of the house. That's not incredibly important to me it matters to me a little bit i like it if a a friend or someone in my family comes over and they approve you know either uh like a pat on the back of like oh wow this is getting better or um or just they're not disgusted by the conditions i live in and and they're like oh yeah this makes sense to me you know whereas like people from the an older generation my, my parents and my aunts and uncles I think if they had seen it earlier on, and my parents did see it earlier on, it's kind of like it throws them off. You know, they find it um, unsettling. Like they worried about me. You know, so I definitely didn't like that, and I I feel good um, to get different reactions from from people in my family when they come over and are like, "Oh, this this isn't so bad." You know, that makes me feel good. Um, but again, I don't mean to focus on how other people perceive it because that's not the most important thing. I personally feel a lot better about it. Like when I'm in the house, I look around quite often and go like, Oh, this is, this is okay. Now this is getting a lot better. You know, like I'm comfortable in here. This feels good. Um, this looks okay. And I do care about that. Even though I'm, I'm a very practical person. I care about functionality more than aesthetics. Most of the time, I definitely care about aesthetics too. Um, to, you know, to a certain extent. And when I look, across the living room into the kitchen and I see a nice nice looking floor and ceiling and light fixture and the refrigerator and my water filter and this wooden butcher block thing that has some cabinets in it and it all just kind of looks nice enough you know again I don't want to overstate that it's like this great example of interior design or anything it's not but it's it just looks respectable you know and it just it makes me feel better looking around and seeing a kind of normal looking living space. So I think I've said enough about that. I feel good about it. 
and I haven't really said that on the podcast, even though I think it all the time. And uh, it feels good to say that again now because in the last couple of weeks, I kind of lost sight of that gratitude about the uh, positive change in my fortune in the sense that, you know, my, my lifestyle is getting better over time and my, my living situation is getting better over time. And it's uh, it's easy to kind of get hung up on the fact that I have these short-term problems with heating the home and all that stuff. All right, moving out of the house and into the garden. That's where I'm really pleased with how things are progressing. I've expanded the garden, uh, not quite doubled, but uh, I've added, I guess, 40% more garden space in the past three months. So I'm doing what's called the no-dig garden. A lot of people will already be familiar, but for anyone who isn't, um, the concept there is that instead of turning up the soil a lot while you're preparing a garden bed, you're just killing off any weeds in a sort of passive way, usually by sheet mulching. For example, I rolled out a long sheet of cardboard, covered that cardboard with grass clippings, waited a couple months, and then put a bunch of compost on top of that. And that's where I'm at now with the two new garden beds. I yeah, did cardboard, grass clippings, compost. I did about three inches thick of compost. I have a great source of organic compost because a farm that's in my neighborhood just down the street makes probably the best compost in the United States. That's a, a bold claim, but... I think that's probably true. The founder of this farm, Mike Murner, I believe is his name. I haven't actually met him, but I've met his daughter, Jane. And Mike was one of the pioneers of organic agriculture in Rhode Island in the late 80s, I want to say. And then he was doing vegetable farming for a while organically. And he found he wasn't getting high quality compost. So he ended up starting this composting operation that they continue today. Um, his daughter Jane runs the farm now and uh, they just put the utmost care into the creation of this compost so I'm really lucky to have them as neighbors and I picked up two cubic yards from them in the past couple weeks I just go there with my pickup truck and it's about 80 bucks for a cubic yard and uh, I go over to the big pile and they come over in a tractor and pick up two scoops with the bucket dump it right into my flatbed it weighs 2,000 pounds, the cubic yard, so it really loads down my truck. My, my truck's sitting a lot closer to the ground, and fortunately, I just drive less than a half mile down the road to get back to my house, and then I try to unload it relatively quickly. Uh, you know, Within a couple of days, I get the compost out of the truck, and even the day I bring it home, I try to at least get 500 pounds of compost out of the truck, which would be about, let's say, 10 wheelbarrows full and just dumping it in the garden. So with the addition of these two beds, uh, using the no-dig method that I mentioned, I'm now up to five garden beds of pretty good size, which means nothing, so I'll be more specific. I have five 50-foot-long beds. Everything's three feet wide. So I have, uh, roughly speaking, uh, what, 50 times five, 250 feet length of beds times three feet wide so 750 square feet of garden bed not including pathways with the pathways call it a thousand square feet 
yeah, so I'm really excited about that. I pulled a bunch of weeds out before I added the compost, then putting the compost on the, the new beds, but also spreading out a thinner layer of compost on the existing beds. They just look so good. I love looking out in the backyard and just seeing these tidy looking garden beds covered in this coat of fresh compost. It just looks so fertile, you know, it just looks like it's overflowing with potential and I can't wait to start growing some stuff in there in the spring. And actually I'm not waiting. Uh, I would like to put some garlic in there and I've probably waited a little too long. The ground's starting to freeze now. I should have planted it in the last couple of weeks at the latest, I think. Um, but I might try to push it anyway. If, if I can tomorrow, it's, it's pretty mild right now. It's actually in the mid forties right now. Uh, if it's similar temperatures tomorrow, maybe I'll put some garlic in the ground. But what I was referring to is that I've put some young trees in the garden. So I've got it split up where some of the beds I'm dedicating to tree nursery slash annual perennial nursery. Uh, not just trees, but I put in some blackberry and some raspberries there too. Um, so, so some of that space is just for growing what you could call nursery stock, you know, uh, perennials that produce fruit, generally speaking, and that are just a little too young and delicate to be put out in a field somewhere. They just need a little more nurturing. So I've got some of the garden sectioned off for that, maybe one third of it. And then the other two thirds are going to be reserved for vegetables. Uh, really quickly, I'll mention what else is in there besides the raspberries and the blackberries. I've also got a couple peach trees, a couple apple trees, um, several pawpaw, and some seaberry. Uh, it might be something else, but that's that's the gist of it. All right, well, it's getting late, and I think that's all I had to say for today. So I'm going to call it a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to see some pictures, check out the Instagram. That's at rookie underscore homesteader. And I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye.